let's uh, let's switch gears. Uh, a keynote. Typically, we would have somebody up here talking to you. That's a that's a difficult task. Uh, this year, we decided to do something different, and we wanted to bring a topic uh, based on sound changes. And a lot of you have seen uh, Will Files throughout the years here. He's a, a man who's very creative and technical. Um, and I've asked uh, Will, he bounces around to these sponsor rooms. We need to bring him up front. And so I've asked Will to be joined with uh, two of his uh, sort of partners in crime and uh, people who work in a lot of the similar style that we're going to be talking about. So if I could please introduce Will Files, Craig Hennigan, and Julian Slater. Come on down, gentlemen. All right. Um, sound changes. This is interesting because uh, typically we're thinking of what happened over the last couple of years. The pandemic sort of forced a lot of accelerated changes in the way we work, in workflows, in technology. Um, but we're here to talk about other changes. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit done talking about remote workflows at this point. <laughs> um, uh, the sound changes that are already in place in the business, um, uh, from a business side, from a technology point of view. And we're going to start off with the role of, of how these three gentlemen work and why we asked them up here. Um, years ago, uh, starting back with perhaps Walter Merch, maybe up in, up in the Bay Area, we see the idea of a sound producer, a voice, uh, uh, who could carry tracks all the way through from production through the, through the mix. Um, and then when that was, tradition was sort of continued uh, in Skywalker. There were people in town doing this, certainly. Uh, we're not giving all the credit there. But there's been an accelerated change here, whether, and we're going to find out the reasons for that, where a sound supervisor and a sound, becomes a sound designer, becomes a re-recording mixer. And we'd like to talk about that a little bit in terms of the tracks. But, uh, well, we're going to start with you. There's a Having a voice has an advantage, you know, having that, that ability to talk with the director from the beginning, follow it through till the deliverables, there's some advantages. There are some disadvantages. Let's start off um, with, first of all, when was your first, if we could ask, when was your first project? How did you learn to sort of get this idea in your head and develop it? What was your first project? Well, I mean, I, I had the benefit of cutting my teeth up at Skywalker. So I was working with Randy Tom and Gary Rydstrom and these guys who were you know, designing, supervising the track, and then ultimately mixing it. Um, Randy took it one step f further on Return of the uh, Return to what, what is it? Return of the Jedi, where he was the he was the production sound mixer and the post production mixer. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, but for me, I think the first thing that I, I mean, I was always I was always doing a certain amount of mixing as you're designing. I think we all are. Um, I think the first project where I saw it all the way through was oh gosh i can't even remember which one it was cloverfield i just did the pre-dubs and anna belmer did the final mix um and i think after that i started mixing my own stuff you got the you got the taste of it uh <laughs> yeah i mean i think i don't know about you guys but i think a lot of us you know part of it's creative control right I mean, you you have an idea you want to see it through all the way to the end but i also think that one of the big advantages from a client side is that a, a lot of directors they mostly want to deal with one person you know it's it's a weird thing i think for them sometimes to have to divide that in their head of like okay i give this note to this person and this note to this person just because of the the role they play uh, julian uh, you came to la from england uh about nine years ago we, we find out um and uh, let's give your impression here i mean you're working in much the same manner how did you is this was this common in england 
before you came to LA or is this something you sort of developed with it? I mean, I feel like it probably happened about the same time, although there was definitely more resistance over here to the designer, supervisor, mixer role. Um, I, when I first got here, I had several people kind of saying it would just never work as a concept, you know, certainly in LA. But I think, I think the role of, to what Will says, that thing of, you know, having a constant thread, a constant narrative the whole time is super useful. That said, there is a role of having a fresh perspective in the mix whereby someone can, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You can obviously have um, a supervisor, designer, mixer who is so wedded to their tracks, they're possibly, um, you know, only concerned with their side of the board as opposed to having, you know, the, I, I try and take a, a, a sit back a little bit and, and look at the overall perspective of what needs to be done for the mix as opposed to just honing in on, on the effects. In fact, that's why when I do, I mostly do dialogue and music so that, you know, I know the effects, I know what the effects are going to be, but then I can kind of like turn my attention to another side of the mix, the other side of the mix. Well, that, that's certainly one of the uh, things that I, I've noticed it in publishing. I've watched, you know, the big staff come down and, and suddenly you're a little by yourself and you, uh, and you, I need to bounce ideas off people. You know, I mean, that's, that's one of the things in creativity that you have to have, a, Tommy talked about a team. You need this team with you. Craig, could you, could you address some, how you might, well, you might have the vision and have the director's you know, input. I mean, how do you maintain the idea of bouncing ideas? I think it's it's all to do with team and perspective and sort of looking like trying to step out of the mixer role or the sound supervisor role or even the sound designer role and actually being an audience member just watching the movie or episodic or whatever you're working on sort of third party almost and I feel like that's something that a lot of us don't do enough of. And, uh, you know, my biggest pet peeve is when I go on a mix stages and I just see a video village of, of computer monitors. And when I, you know, I was like fortunate enough to work with some, some giants in, in this business and watching them mix, they're looking there, looking at the screen. So I think when you're, when you're around people that sort of are into that sort of idea of storytelling and not the, you know, like Julian mentioned, you know, you have, you have designers and mixers that are doing both and they're really attached. And I've been on stages when I've seen people really attached to something because they've worked months and months on something, but it just doesn't work. You just have to take, you just have to have a perspective on it. It's a collaborative business. It's a collaborative art. And, you know, the director, if he wants it to go one way, you sort of have to sort of follow that route. You know, director is dictatorial. It's like that. And you need, and I think creative people need that. Like yeah. as much as it's awesome to have all these different things, it's also, I think, super important to be constricted a certain way because it sort of, you know, it makes you think a certain certain way. Certainly directors that we work with are constricted on every path of the way, even to get a film made, to yeah. get it greenlit. So they they are constantly used to coming up with solutions and ideas. So, yeah. I, I think my father once said, even teenagers crave limits um, at a certain point. Uh, <laughs> I also uh, I also don't think you can underestimate what Pro Tools has done. I, I want to talk about technology. Right. Does technology make this possible? Well, I mean, because you know, obviously, in the old in the old days, in in previous days, 
the mixer. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. But tread tread lightly. Uh, foot foot in mouth already. But obviously, in previous days, on you'd have these big Harrison desks or Neve desks, and us as sound editors really wouldn't have much of an idea of how that worked. And it was very much a dark art. And of course, now with Pro Tools, it's essentially the same, by and large, as Tommy was saying, like here, we've got, it, it, most stages are now on S6. And so the same technology that we are using day in, day out, and editing on is the same technology that we're mixing on. So that gap has been completely bridged, and it's become, you know, it's one of the same. So right. I think that, that has... That, that has totally changed the dynamic of yeah. what we do. I mean, because I, what, I mean, I can remember that in transitional, where there were like loads of hard drives, like waiting on the outside to carry around. You don't even need a hard drive anymore to carry around. You just need a key code or something, right? I mean, yeah. well, well, you work all over town, and you're able to mainly you're able to supervise in a number of rooms all around town. Um, you're at Deluxe, you're at Warner Brothers, you're um, a fixture at Sony. Um, how does that technology allow allow that to happen? Well, I mean. The thing about mixing in, in Pro Tools is you can, you can be, I can be mixing in my sound design room and then I can come here into the Cary Grant and I just close the session there on the server. I open it here on the server. And as long as I got all the plugins, it's, you know, literally just like a flipping a switch. And, and the same goes for, you know, once you're mixing on a, on a stage, it's very easy to move, especially in a facility like this that all has a six, just pick it up and move it to another stage. And, you know, okay, we need to suddenly add, you know, a third mixer doing, you know, some, you know, visual effects updates or whatever. It's really easy to just pick up and, you know, move that to another stage. So that's been a huge advantage, you know, to the whole mixing workflow, but especially to the sound design, sound design, cutting, mixing workflow. You know, it's all, it's all usually one thought anyway. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time cutting without... You're doing at least a little bit of mixing. mixing as soon as you drop a sound exactly, in. it's like drop two sounds in. Right? Yeah, because you're you're what you're trying to do is sort of create a feeling, right? And so if that feeling includes like doing some panning and maybe a little reverb or something, that helps me figure out if is this sound going to work or not. So, so Craig, you're able to edit on the mix stage. I mean, is this a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> uh, both, probably both, right? You know, I mean, sometimes it's the thirty second rule. Sometimes it's like you know you have to realize, especially if you're under pressure and it's a big action thing and there's like constant visual effects updates and stuff you have to realize you have to keep the big stage the expensive stage moving forward yeah. and you have to have other sound designers that are capable of mixing working in edit rooms and sound design rooms to to sort of carry that forward so you know you have to sort of have this sort of compartmentalizing what needs to get accomplished on the stage right you know and and actually having enough balls to say you know what we need to work on this offline let's move forward to another reel or another exactly. section and stuff you know that, because because you can very easily you know get go down a rabbit hole of like clicking around and looking around and stuff and again i, I get back to sort of you know you, you try to you tracks as much as you can be mixing everywhere the state there's no replacement for a mix stage in my opinion there's no replacement for the quality of sound that can come out of a room like this with the technical like the technical side of it the ability to what you're hearing versus what you're hearing no matter how great your tuned sound design room is or whatever so your ideas start sparking when you're up here and you don't want to get caught in the minutia of like fucking around with like 16 layers of sorry excuse me but yeah. like <laughs> screwing around with with like you know 16 tracks for a punch or a, you know or a gunshot i mean you want to make sure a lot of those decisions are made 
earlier on. And that's where the workflow of working with directors like Will and Julian do, where the directors are coming into the sound design rooms early on and they're hanging out and, you know, they're, they're basically, you're, you're sort of, it's not, you're just mixing and you're just doing sound. You're just sort of like working on the soundtrack, the soundscape. And that's kind of how I, I think the three of us sort of like look at it. It's really well, not, ask, like you know, uh, yeah. two things like Walter, I bring up Walter Birch again. He once said uh, to me, you know, Tom, I'm mixing from the moment I bring my Nagra out into the field. Right. Uh, Wiley statement a couple of years ago here talked about the rolling mix. Is a mix ever finished? I mean, I, I, just, I was just uh, working I on Stranger on Things ask. last I mean, week. Yeah, I mean, some, <laughs> so some, no. mixers, yeah, some mixers I work with around like around week four, they're sort of done, you know, and in other mixers, we just keep going. Uh, some, the great thing I feel sometimes is the great thing, especially with Pro Tools and stuff is you can start and then if the schedule allows, then you can walk away from it for a bit, you know, and then come back to it. I just did that on a film recently where we had finished it in February and then it went to some festivals and then we went back in and made a few changes. Perspective, again, it's all about perspective and it's all about, for all the technical stuff and all the speed and all the things that we can do, it's still about, I feel, slowing it down enough to listen to the sounds that you're actually putting yeah, in. Yeah, I think that's an important point. I think it's very easy to get caught up in the technology of it and what, you, what, what one is capable of doing because of what technology allows. But that thing of, and you alluded to it earlier, that thing of stepping back and looking at it as a piece of cinema, piece of art, piece of popcorn, whatever it, whatever you term it to be, but that thing of stepping back and letting technology enable you to do that role, but not to get in the way of it and not to get hung up on it. And, the, the, you know, we're obviously talking right now about the, that this fluid motion we have between the cutting room and the mix room, but in no way, and I'm sure I, I speak for these two guys, you, you know, this, a room like this, one cannot uh, overstate the importance of that final mix. There's something magical that happens when you get on the final mix stage. Like ideas happen that you didn't necessarily have before, partly because you're, you know, you've got new voices in the room, <clears throat> excuse me, partly because you've got all these ingredients that you've not really had before, not, not coalesced together. But also the importance of that mix is so important. It's 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 a it's a big thing, and you know the two things go hand in hand. But it's ne I, I've never really thought of it like oh well you can do a mix in your cutting room, so therefore yeah. the mix the mix is a reduced uh, it is reduced in importance. Not at all. It's just as important as it's always been. It's just it's just that the elements that go into that are perhaps more refined than they've been in in yesteryear. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I think we can agree this is a beautiful room uh, built at a time, but uh, we, not, not many more Cary Grant theaters will be built. Uh, and we've seen this throughout the day. We'll be talking about this mid-sized, versatile room. Uh, well, some of us pioneered here at the Theater One. I, I can remember when Theater One came up. Uh, at first, they called it the Will's File, Will Files Room. Tommy <laughs> called it the Will Files Room. Uh, but it's a sound it's a sound design suite that sort of bridges that experience between cinema and home. It feels like to me a little bit. It allows you, there's a TV room, there's a, a, a pre-dub room, it's a design suite, it's a cutting room. How has this sort of, with, with Atmos in mind, working in this mid-sized room, the translation up and down, could you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, th that th these rooms are becoming more and more important. These these mid-sized rooms, because you know, for example, we mix Stranger Things in a room that's almost the exact same dimensions as Theater One and Three over here, 
Um, and it's, you know, it's a midfield Atmos room and it can do theatrical Atmos. It's just big enough to do theatrical. It can also do midfield, um, you know, home theater style mixing. Um, and it's, it's a great middle ground because it's big enough for a bunch of clients to come into and have some chance of all having a similar experience. You know, that's one of the problems with small rooms, right? It's like you still need to bring in the director. You yeah. still got to bring in the director and, you know, all ego. The, yes. Bring in ego, ego is still a factor. Uh, <laughs> but at least, you know, in a midfield environment like that, you, you're hearing enough detail that you have a chance of catching the things that you would also hear on near fields. So you're, you're you know, protecting yourself. So when things do go on TV, you're not going to be hearing a bunch of crap that you didn't hear in the big room. I mean, and that's, you know, that's actually, I've always enjoyed the experience of pre-dubbing in a small, smaller, you know, mid-sized room because you have all the detail and you really hear all the articulation of the panning and then you bring it into a room like this and, and you, you feel the dynamics better in a big room like this. You push some air. Yes, yes. exactly. Uh, Will, Will's also forgetting that he's incredibly clever with the fact when we do Stranger Things, um, he figured out a way to actually run the mix live into an iPad. So I don't know, we you know, talk the gamut of a room like this, but all the way down to your phone and your iPad. Um, that's, that's always in our brains as well. How's it going to translate, you know, and, and companies like Netflix are really great because they'll actually give us a private link and we can actually take a mix home and then they'll post it. And so it does go through their whole system and we can all watch it at home, sound bars, whatever you have and come back and keep tweaking it again. It's this fluidity of, how sound is approached for for the shows that you're working on? Uh, you, that's a, I was going to say that's a big change in the last for me the last five years. We 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 now all work in television. You know there used to be a delineation between feature films and television, and you know certainly sixty five percent of the movies that I've done of late have a uh, some kind of streaming. Uh, delivery requirement and you know as Will is saying that thing of like catching stuff on the near fields because you can mix it in a lovely room like this but then you're going to catch stuff that when it's on the near fields that you're just not going to hear in a room of this size and so yeah it's definitely changed over the last five years where we are all now working on some, you know to some degree Stranger Things is obviously different because it's it's specifically for streaming but we all work on these movies that are going to get maybe a two-week theatrical release yeah. or uh, and then going straight to streaming or maybe it's going to have a run um, uh, for a festival. But it, that's that's definitely changed. The, the near-field consideration of a movie is something that's very uh, high on my mind when I'm mixing. And that's, that, that is one of the big changes. I'd like to sort of conclude a little bit, conclude a little bit with that because you say the magic word Netflix. We have Apple TV+, Plus, Amazon. And we have, um, the world changed. Very quickly, and we're thrilled to have box office back. I saw, I went and saw Top Gun Maverick in a nice Dolby Vision cinema, and it's a fun experience, you know. And I saw Bullet Train in a Vision cinema, and it's a fun experience. Um, and yet, well, you, we have these workflows are converging. I guess the one thing was is time. I mean, do you? I can't imagine what the schedule on a Stranger Things or something is like. I mean, are these... I mean, the only way we get through these shows, because this season we had episodes going all the way from an hour 15 to two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, and uh, the only way we get through them is because Craig is able to do uh, sort of a pre-pre-dub pass. 
before you know as he's working the the tracks before he sends it to me and then when when mark and i start mixing what we do is split up into into two rooms i, I go into a smaller room he's in the bigger room and we basically pre-dub so we pre-dub for like two three days as fast as we can and then we get together and we mix for a couple of days and then we play for the producer i mean it's for the amount of material we're getting through, it's I'm stunned. It's, I'm I mean, stunned. I think it's nuts. I mean, it's just I I I, I, I frequently because I I mean I, I I watch and listen to these amazing series, oh, knowing how little time compared to in the feature world we get, and it's just stunning. Yeah. It's it really crazy. Is. I mean, you're basically at least you know coming from our perspective as being sort of feature guys, we Mark and I really had to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we get through this material this fast? Um, and we we're kind of almost approaching it like, like we would a temp where it's like, okay, that's good enough. Move on. Okay. That's good enough. Move on. And you know, the good thing is you realize that you're trusting your instincts and they're, they're usually right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's kind of nice to not belabor things so much, yeah. you know, it's like well, decision-making is still important. Right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And you know, part of it is that we've got amazing clients and they really understand the constraints and they want it to be excellent, but they're not going to like die on a hill, you know, it, it, they'll, they'll really pick their battles about, about what they're going to, you know, drill down on. Um, and that, that's what makes it work. But, but really, again, it's the fluidity, it's the, it's the mixing in pro tools. It's the being able to, you know, pre-dub separately just by, by virtue of the fact that, you know, we basically set up like a nice cutting room, uh, where I could pre-dub in. And, you know, that's the thing that I've been pushing for for years is let's get better speakers into editorial. Let's get editorial rooms calibrated. Let's make sure that the editors have a chance to present their best work. Because you know truth, the editors, truth will truth. No, it's, it's I mean, because I mean, how many times have have I mean? I remember when I was an editor and I would you know bring my stuff to the stage and be like, holy shit, that sounds nothing like my room. I, I don't you know, know what you're talking about, Will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like you know metal ricochets are like taking your 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 hair off. So uh, that's that's been a, a personal thing that I've been pushing for for years. Hey, hey Craig, like I mean, it, along this line, you this year you well did a uh, you know, Stranger Things and the Batman. I mean, it couldn't be two bigger sort of uh, distribution differences there. I mean, uh, same process type of thing. Yeah, same I mean, work. Will can definitely speak to that. On, on I. I I didn't do as much work on the Batman as I, I'd hoped um, from schedule-wise and stuff, but um, but definitely, yeah, it's the same approach. It's so I think it's been the same approach for all of us since we worked on short movies or independents or yeah. your friends. I don't think it's really changed. I know it hasn't really changed that much for me from college to all that you talked earlier about when was the first time you know, sort of mixed and edited. I, I had it in, I did it in college, you know, to, for my friends, student films. So it's always been in my, my, you know, head to sort of do that. And I think the approach that Will has on Batman is not that dissimilar to what we do on Stranger Things or what Julian does on, you know, Edgar's movies or, or any movies. I think once you lock into an approach that works and you need the latitude creatively for sure, you need to read the political playing field of the project you're working on. But within that realm, you can, you can completely maximize the team that you're with and, and the talent that you're bringing to the table. All right. Um, I'd love to keep going. Uh, <laughs> I really would, but I want to add, uh, and we've got a whole lot of programming today. You're going to have a great day. But I'd like to add a, on, a, on a fun note. Uh, just tell us. I'm an Irish. I like stories. Tell us a fun story from the stage or from the edit room. Something this year, if you would. <laughs> Something we don't know. Well, when we started the Batman, we were, we were basically the only people on the lot. 
um, at Warner Brothers. And so we took advantage of that. And we went out and recorded a shitload of Gorilla Foley. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we basically had the place to ourselves. And we you know, were going up on the catwalks and recording, stomping and going. We found this, this weird like underground bunker under this new building that hadn't been finished yet. It was like, a, it was cavernous. It was like this, but it was just con- concrete. So we recorded a lot of Batman footsteps echoing echo around. Yeah, exactly. So that was, you know, it was, that was maybe one of the fun things about the pandemic is the, the sound crew, you know, we kind of had the studios lots to ourselves for a few yeah. months. <laughs> Julian, uh, tell us a story. Hmm. I think maybe on the same kind of lines as what Will's saying, Gorilla gorilla Foley and Gorilla Recording. I did this movie last night in Soho, which was, uh, and we were desperately wanted to capture what Soho is at night, which is, you know, if anyone has been there, it's kind of by day a very work-heavy environment and, uh, you know, it's just a normal kind of uh, working town, if you like. And then as soon as it hits kind of seven o'clock at night, everyone piles into the pubs and, Everyone starts drinking, and <clears throat> by two o'clock in the morning, it's a completely different <laughs> environment. And we wanted to try and capture that. So on the you know, first night of recording, we had th- I had three guys go out and spend all night uh, with recording gear to go and um, you know shoot whatever they could get, so that we could get stuff that was kind of like stuff that you don't necessarily think of. And I remember speaking to him on the next day, and I said said to one of the guys, "So, what did you get?" He said, "Well." He said, last night, I could have literally bought five grams of cocaine. I could have slept with four prostitutes. And I did get in one fight. <clears throat> and um, you don't really think about that when, we're, when, when you know, recording sound seems to be such a sedate thing to me. But, um, it, yeah, it was quite interesting. To, to, he he got, got away with his life. <laughs> Recorded with a two-pint minimum. Right. Uh, Craig, well, I certainly, let's I, add with the story. I certainly can't like, you know, f- run with that story, but I'll just keep it short and sweet. The last project, uh, one of the last projects we worked on was a film called Prey. And, uh, and for everybody out here, I think it's something that we all have to keep in mind is to have a lot of fun on, when you're doing sound and when you're working on stuff. And it's a creative, it's a creative thing and to stay creative. And uh, the movie we were working on, the director kept saying, juice it, juice it up. And stuff. So I would just say, juice it up, everybody, and <laughs> carry on with that. Juice it up. Juice it up, make it green, whatever. Um, well, thank you. I mean, I w- time is of the essence today. We have a big day planned. I would have loved to continue this and keep going. But thank you, Will. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Guys. Thank thank you. you. Go have a wonderful day. <laughs> <laughs>